hour two, the hour of chaos here on the morning after on Sports Grid. You're listening on Sirius XM channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. This hour, we're going to go through a bunch of different things. We've got the PGA coming up next with Cam Rogers. We're going to break down some college football games, including with mid-major Matt. And we've got some NFL news to get to. Yesterday, we got news that the running back for the San Francisco 49ers, Raheem Mostert, is going to miss the rest of the season. He's getting surgery on his knee, something that we weren't sure if he was going to do the surgery or not. One of those elective surgeries where you could just end your season, get the surgery, get it over with, and move on, or you could try to play in a few weeks and fight through it. Mostert opts for the surgery. Ben, how surprised were you to see that Mostert was going to be out for the rest of the season, and how does that impact the 49ers here? Not very surprised, honestly, because when they placed him on the IR and he was going to be out for a timetable close to six to eight weeks, it didn't seem like it was that positive of news for Raheem Mostert and the San Francisco 49ers. So to get the surgery to end the season, it sucks for Raheem Mostert. But again, much like we discussed yesterday, I'm not overly concerned for San Fran because they have a lot of depth in that running back room. And I think Kyle Shanahan's offense is creative enough to use the running backs in whatever way they need. And again, no shot at running backs, but as we have seen from a gambling perspective, running backs don't affect the lines all that much. And it is an interesting number for the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles for this upcoming Sunday. The Eagles opened up as a five and a half point underdog at home. They are now just a three and a half point underdog at home. The line movement there is intriguing. Philly did dominate Atlanta in their season opener, and the San Francisco 49ers looked really good for a good majority of that game against the Detroit Lions before the Lions stormed back for a backdoor cover. But still, San Francisco put up 41 points. What I think is the most interesting line move in this number right now is not necessarily a side perspective, but a total perspective. It opened at 48. It is now already at 50 and a half. I think it's going to get steamed up a little bit more as we get ready for this matchup on Sunday. I love the over for this game. I would jump in on that over now. And I don't think losing Raheem Mostert, as we already knew he was not going to play in this game, really has an effect on that or really for the rest of this season for the San Francisco 49ers who have had a terrible history of injury luck not go their way. Of course, they also lost Jason Verrett after that week one opener against the Detroit Lions, an impactful member of their defensive secondary. If you want to jump in right now and you want to look to the prop perspective of this market, Elijah Mitchell, the sixth round draft pick out of Louisiana, a rookie in that running back room, as as well as Trey Sermon, who is a third round draft pick out of Ohio State. They might have some buy low opportunities here in the next couple of weeks in that prop market where I think they can go over both very talented running backs. So that's how I look at things for the San Francisco 49ers who Ariel, by the way, their team win total now on the FanDuel Sportsbook is 11 and a half. The under has the juice, but still the highest team win total in the NFC West at the moment. Already losing their running back and a member of the secondary. No, thank you. I'm not going to bet on the San Francisco 49ers, who had the worst injury luck last year in the league. However, where I do have concerns also is how to bet the running backs. Even though Elijah Mitchell was the biggest waiver wire pickup this week, he was not owned in, I think, like 90% of leagues. And this week, he's going to be the most owned waiver wire addition for everybody. However, when it comes to Trey Sermon, he was inactive last week. It was some. It was surprising to all of us that the inactives came out and we saw that the rookie running back wasn't listed. Yet you mentioned Mitchell. Uh, why him over 
why him? Uh, so that's why the question that I have. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience. Second hour of the morning after Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. With the 49ers losing their running back, Raheem Mostert, Ben, how much do you think Trey Sermon's going to play this week, and how does that impact Mitchell? Kyle Shanahan needs to play Trey Sermon. He is very, very good. He took over the Big Ten and really the college football landscape at the end of last season in 2020, running for over 200 yards in nearly three straight games. I think he averaged something like 196 yards through the final four games for the Ohio State Buckeyes a season ago. So Trey Sermon can be a factor for this Kyle Shanahan offense, as will be Elijah Mitchell. So regardless of who is going to lead the way in the prop market, I think you're going to find a small buy-low number. But all going back to the point that I think San Francisco's offense will be just fine. And as it pertains to this week two matchup against Philadelphia, the over already up two and a half points. I think it will get steamed up even more. Jump in now on an over of 50 and a half on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Yeah, especially after watching the 49ers completely blow that game uh, against the Lions. And granted, they won San Francisco. However, just didn't cover that closing number of nine and a half. I saw this stat that was really intriguing, too. Uh, Joe Osborne, who works in the gambling space, he said that in the 10 full games that the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow has played, the Bengals are 7-2-1 against the spread, with the team being an underdog in nine of those games. They're a three-point dog in Chicago on Sunday. Ben, seeing how much of an impact Joe Burrow has on this Bengals team, a team that I'm pretty sure didn't cover, or at least didn't cover a majority of the games when Burrow tore his ACL last year. Burrow, even though he may not be winning, is still helping to keep games close. And you keep the gamblers happy. Good teams win, great teams cover, great quarterbacks cover. That is what Joe Burrow has been throughout his small NFL career so far and then you look at this week plus three on the road in Chicago 97% of the money Ariel against the spread is backing the Cincinnati Bengals 56% of the betting handle is on the Chicago Bears on the money line but that's the difference that plus three the key number of three Cincinnati seven two and one in the 10 full games with Joe Burrow again good quarterbacks cover great quarterbacks or excuse me good quarterbacks cover great quarterbacks win that's what I was saying Got it. Well, we've got ourselves a great segment coming up next because it's Cam Rogers. He's going to help give you the edge. We've got the Ryder Cup coming up in just a couple of weeks. He's going to help tell you how to bet it. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. On the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining the show are PGA analyst Cam Rogers. However, he is also a Baltimore Ravens fan. Cam, I really needed you here on the show yesterday. Can we get Jonathan Ogden to come out of retirement and play on that offensive line for the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, my gracious guys, I'm a big boy football fan, okay? So I want the line of scrimmage to win every single game. I want road graders on the offensive line to move 
players at the point of attack. Not happening so far for the Ravens, Ariel. I mean, I could go on a rant this entire segment. Forget about the Ryder Cup. <laughs> Forget about the Ryder Cup. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I can't talk about that game anymore. I'll jump off a bridge. Let's go to the Ryder Cup. It's coming up at the end of the month, Cam. Hopefully they're going to be more profitable than the Ravens were earlier this week. How do you bet the Ryder Cup differently than you would for other PGA events? Yeah, obviously the Ryder Cup is a very exciting event and a unique event as well. Obviously, we have matches on Friday and Saturday and then on Sunday as well, but they're different types of matches. So team play on Friday and Saturday, and then you have singles matches on Sunday. That'll be a fun one to live bet, by the way. But yeah, you have to really zone in on who has the Ryder Cup experience, what are their records, who are the rookies, who's coming in with good form, who typically plays well on the big stage. So you can extrapolate a little bit from like the major championships, who plays well at majors, maybe a Scotty Scheffler, for instance. And so, you know, I think there are certain areas you can really zone in on. Does somebody make a lot of birdies? Is somebody a really good putter? I'm really not going too crazy with the stats for the Ryder Cup, guys. I am going heavily on experience and are you a clutch Putter, Ian Poulter, Patrick Reed, these guys have played well at Ryder Cups before because they are gritty grinders and fantastic putters. Cam, we have the Ryder Cup coming up next weekend. Right now, the Americans, a minus 195 favorite on the FanDuel Sportsbook, despite the fact the Europeans have won four of the last five Ryder Cups. And in a very interesting interview with Golf Digest, when one of the men across the PGA Tour who was the most vocal and maybe the most transparent, Brooks Kepka, was speaking about the United States and playing in these team events, either the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup, he shared a little bit about what that experience is like. And the whole idea has been, for the Americans at times, why the United States is not necessarily the biggest team camaraderie-type feel is maybe because they don't have all of that community that the Europeans have. And that's what Brooks was virtually saying in what's a weird-like experience, a weird week at the Ryder Cup. What did you make of Brooks Kepka's comments heading into this Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits next weekend? You know, guys, I'm torn when these sorts of things happen, when we get candid responses on the PGA Tour, because on the one end, I like that. I like honesty. I want that. But on the other end, it's like, Team camaraderie also matters here. We're talking about the Ryder Cup. This is not just a regular PGA Tour event. We're talking about an event where, as you mentioned, Ben, we have been really poor at, we being the Americans. And so for somebody like Brooks Kepka to go out and say this, it's almost like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Maybe on the other end, FanDuel moves the line and makes it a little more inflated for us, maybe minus 175 for the U.S. to win rather than 195. Look, sometimes Brooks needs to put the whole, like, I'm too cool for school thing to the side. You know what I mean? And just say, look, it may not be my favorite event, but I'm all in this week. It's three days, Brooks. It's three days. You can handle it, my man. I know you can. Bryson's not out there complaining. So come on, like, grow up a little bit. I don't like seeing this sort of thing. And look, am I really that mad about it? No. Like, my life doesn't change depending on what Brooks says, but... You know, it does irk you a little bit. It's like, come on, like, don't you want to win? I don't know. Maybe the drama is either going to make them all work harder and try to beat each other out, or it's really going to crash and burn this team. But I want to take a look at on the odds board where you're looking at. Where did your eye first go when you went to go play some bets or at least handicap some of this board? 
Yeah, so a lot of ways to bet on the Ryder Cup in the interim right now, guys. Obviously, we'll have live bets, too. But top combined point scorer, Justin Thomas, strikes me big time right now. Plus 900 to get that done on FanDuel Sportsbook. Was 4-1-0 and at the Ryder Cup back in 2018. He's trending in the right direction, too. Obviously, he won the Players' Championship not too long ago. After that, he sort of sputtered on the PGA Tour, but then he found something during the FedEx Cup playoffs. He's an automatic qualifier as well. One thing to note, guys, when you're betting on the point scores, you may not play every single match because you have eight matches each day on Friday and Saturday. Then you have 12, so everybody plays on Sunday, but on Friday and Saturday, not everybody does. I think Justin Thomas will play the max amount, so you got to factor that in when you're betting on these guys here, especially being an automatic qualifier. When you're a captain's pick, you may not play as much. Keep that in mind. So I like Justin Thomas a lot. Fantastic ball striker. He's somebody that I'm looking at for top combined point scorer. But for top USA point scorer, you don't necessarily have to go to Justin Thomas, too. You can spread the wealth a little bit. It's a little counterintuitive. But I'm going Jordan Spieth. Throw somebody down on that, plus 750 to get that done. You get the best of both worlds here when you're betting on JT and Jordan Spieth. I think these guys are really prime for a fantastic Ryder Cup. Who's gritty? Jordan Spieth. Who's a good putter? Jordan Spieth. He might be the best putter in this collection of players on the American side, guys. So I like him a lot in this format. Yeah, Cam brings up a great point right there. On both Friday and Saturday in those team matches, there is a morning session and an afternoon session. Not a lot of guys for either team will play both matches on both of those days leading into the individual matches on Sunday that round out the Ryder Cup. Speaking of that Sunday or even just throughout the event at Whistling Straits next weekend, Cam, you mentioned the live betting perspective, and I think that might be new to a lot of casual sports bettors who might want to dive in on the Ryder Cup. What's the strategy like for live betting this type of event? Yeah, obviously you can get some value or perceived value if somebody like a Justin Thomas or a Jordan Spieth is down two at one point during a match and you know they have the electricity, the firepower to come back. Or even John Rahm, guys. I mean, obviously he's playing this week at the Fortinet Championship. I don't know why, but he is the class of this entire grouping, right? He's the best player in the world. If he is down two or three, I think there's some value there, depending on what that number is, to bet on him to still win that match because we know how he can catch fire. We know he is the elite of the elite on the PGA Tour and the world stage. So that's something to keep in mind, too. So when I'm live betting for the singles matches, I think you want to go with the plus money more often than not. Not a lot because maybe they don't come back or anything like that. But I think that's probably going to be my strategy come Sunday. Looking at what Patrick Cantlay did this year, Cam, four wins, FedEx Cup champion, player of the year. How are you going to approach Cantlay going forward? Yeah, Patrick Cantlay is an interesting one, guys. And he does not have the Ryder Cup prowess that, say, a Jordan Spieth or a Justin Thomas would have. By the way, John Rahm should have won PGA Tour Player of the Year. I think we have to reevaluate how we give that winner out. But anyway... I think Patrick Cantley will be obviously a nice factor on the American side of things. He's a balanced player, really good tee to green, can get hot with the putter as well. Obviously coming in with big time momentum and a lot of buzz, getting the award, FedEx Cup playoffs, blah, 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 blah. But you look at his record at the major championships this past year, not very good. All right. So if you want to talk about the biggest of the big stages, 
right? He did not perform very well. How does that factor into the Ryder Cup? We shall see. Obviously, he is an even-keeled guy. It'll be kind of funny to see if he has a lot of energy when he sinks a big putt or something like that. But sometimes that demeanor helps at a Ryder Cup. We'll see what happens. Cam, only about 30 seconds left here. We talked a lot about the Americans, John Robb for the Europeans. Who do you like as another European pick that could really factor into next week's Ryder Cup? Yeah, real quick, top European rookie, Shane Lowry, plus 165. He was a captain's pick for Podrick Harrington. Podrick's an Irishman. Shane Lowry's an Irishman. I think that's the connection there that maybe Lowry plays a lot during this Ryder Cup, so I like him. He's a grinder. We love the props, and Cam Rogers is going to come back next week right before that Ryder Cup begins, and we're going to break this down a lot more. But, Cam Rogers, thanks so much for coming on with us. We'll see you next week. And coming up next, Ben and I are going to, clo- are going to actually go to college football. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Make sure to check us out on social media. You can go to Sports Grid and Sports Grid TV on Twitter. There are two different handles. We give you the edge and we post all of our videos from our shows in case you missed it. Now we're going to talk college football. Big Ten Ben, time to put on your hat. We're going to talk Auburn Penn State first. I'm excited for this game. Penn State is getting to see Auburn come to Happy Valley. And Auburn is a six and a half point road dog. The total sitting at 52 and a half. I completely just missed what happened. Ty's laughing in my ear. However, Penn State favored at home by six and a half. Ben, what do you think about this Big Ten team? Ariel, for the past 48 hours, I have been in the home studio. I can feature my Big Ten flags over my left shoulder. In fact, I could go to my closet quickly and grab my Big Ten hat and put that on if we so desired. But I think for the purposes right now, we'll just focus on breaking down this Saturday yeah, you don't night want the time matchup. Out. Yeah, yeah we got to keep the studio door closed. We can't have any of my very furry roommates in this studio at the moment. Anyway, as we approach college football, as we look at this game between Penn State and Auburn, it is a great matchup on Saturday night. In Happy Valley, it will be a wideout. The atmosphere is going to be incredible. Let's first focus on that number. Penn State favored by six and a half. Frankly, as we slightly discussed yesterday, I do not think it is a big enough number in favor of the Nittany Lions. I think you are getting Penn State with a great number currently inside that key number of seven. And yes, it has moved up in favor of Penn State by a point from five and a half at the open to now six and a half in favor of the home team on Saturday night. But again, Inside seven, don't think it's a big enough number on the Penn State Nittany Lions who have looked really, really good so far this season. Opening up on the road in Camp Randall and Madison and getting a big win over the Wisconsin Badgers. Then, last week, only playing Ball State, but the offense looked good. The defense continues to tool as well. Let's focus first on Penn State 
and that defense under defensive coordinator Brent Pry. They have looked incredible so far this year. Maybe one of the best linebacking units in the Big Ten Conference, maybe in all of college football. Jesse Lucchetta, Brandon Smith, and then my guy Ellis Brooks, who is flying around the field making play after play, did that against the Badgers. I expect him to do the same against the Auburn Tigers, who are on the road. And this is a very big key point. Connor O'Gara shared it with us yesterday. I will reiterate it. Bo Nix, Auburn's quarterback, is not good on the road. When you look at his home road splits throughout the first two years of his career there in Auburn, Alabama, they paint a very dismal picture for Auburn in big spots on the road. Let's look at what Bo Nix did last year in his sophomore season in 2020. He had a 57.2% completion percentage on the road. Compare that to nearly a 65% completion percentage at home. He also had four touchdowns to six interceptions on the road a season ago. Eight touchdowns, only one pick at home for the Auburn Tigers last year. Even in his freshman year in 2019, the home road splits were apparent as well. Only a 50 and a half percent completion percentage on the road in 2019 he was nearly 60 percent at home he had six touchdowns and four interceptions he is four and five in true road games in his career four and seven if you add in neutral field games so bo Nix four and seven in games away from jordan hare stadium in auburn alabama i think that will be a factor in this game between penn state and auburn i'm still not necessarily sold on sean clifford and that offensive scheme under mike yersich but i can be sold on that running back room in the depth for the Penn State Nittany Lions, Noah Kane, Kevon Lee, Devin Ford, all of them, big-time players. I think Penn State focuses on that ground game. I think the defense is very, very good for the Nittany Lions. And again, that number, inside seven, I have to favor Penn State, that home team with a whiteout in Happy Valley. Ariel, did you ever attend any whiteouts at Beaver Stadium? Obviously, the first thing I did when I became a Penn State student was to get season tickets for football. Duh. How do you not? It was the best thing ever. It was so much fun. Michigan games, Ohio State games. Never, I don't think, saw an SEC matchup in there. However, going to some of those Ohio State and Michigan games were so much fun. It is electric to go to a whiteout night game in Happy Valley. I was actually at the game where they played Michigan in overtime, and Allen Robinson had the game-winning touchdown. It was insane for overtimes. Uh, one thing I do want to ask you, though, is they've been, there's been a lot of rumors about the opening at USC now that they fired Clay Helton, their head coach. James Franklin's one of the names on the list for going over there. How much could that impact a team? James Franklin is always a name on every list for every big-time opening in college football. I don't think it will have too much of an impact on this team right now because it's still very, very early in the season, and there's not a ton of credence to James Franklin versus some of the other bigger names in this USC coaching search. So I don't think that will have an impact on Penn State right now. They're the number 10 team in the country. They are a part of a wide-open now Big Ten East division with the struggles Ohio State has had defensively. I think Penn State is focused on the moment, this top 25 matchup against Auburn and again that Penn State defense under Brent Pry is so so good only allowing their opponents to score 11 and a half points per game this year that includes a really good team in the Wisconsin Badgers as the 13th best scoring defense nationally so far this year Penn State has given up a fair chunk of yards but when it comes to allowing points they have not done that this year I don't expect them to allow Bo Nix and Auburn to do that on the road this upcoming Saturday night and again that number Inside seven. Got to love that six and a half in favor of Penn State right now. Let's go to an SEC matchup. It's going to be Alabama, who's laying 14 and a half points, facing Florida. The total, 58 and a half. How much could you see Alabama covering a 14 and a half point spread against their SEC foe? 
Well, when you look at how good Alabama has been so far this season in 2021, the reigning national champions under Nick Saban, their average scoring margin so far, including a top 15 matchup against Miami to open up the year, their average scoring margin is the fifth best in the country at 31 and a half points per game. So theoretically by that, they could easily cover this 14 and a half point spread, even on the road in Gainesville in the swamp on Saturday. I think that is very much at play here for Alabama, but I'm not so much focused on the side because the number is a little bit large here. I'm more focused on the total at 58 and a half. I don't think that's nearly big enough for this game between Alabama and Florida. Now, Florida has some questions about their quarterback position right now. Emory Jones was a dark horse candidate to be a Heisman contender entering the year, but it has not been great so far in the first two games for Florida against pretty mediocre opponents in Florida Atlantic and South Florida. In these first two games, Emory Jones has thrown two interceptions in each of the first two games. He has had the compliment of Anthony Richardson, who has been great, 115 rushing yards or more in each of these first two matchups for the Gators. But Anthony Richardson got banged up at the end of this South Florida game this past Saturday. His status uh Slightly questionable for this matchup against Bama, but he is indicated to be at practice this week. When you look at what Florida has done, the sixth highest yards per play in the country this year at over eight yards per play. That's a pretty explosive offense. 33rd in plays per game. You look at Alabama, they are also up there in the top 25 in terms of play per plays per game at 78 plays per game. Also, I want to mention Florida has a really good rushing deep, rushing offense so far this year. 381 and a half rushing yards per game. The top rushing offense at the moment. Pretty much what I am saying here is I think we can expect points on Saturday in the Swamp. I think Alabama will easily score 35, 38 points to try to keep pace with covering that big 14 and a half point margin. And Florida's offense is good enough to also put up a ton of points. I think you could see this even being 38-21, Alabama winning that game, and that would go slightly over by the hook. So I think Bama, if I was going to pick a side, more than likely to cover, but I think the offense will be on full display on Saturday. I don't think the total is high enough in regards to that offensive output. I would lean the over between Alabama and Florida. One more game to get to that's a big matchup this week, and it's Arizona State up against BYU. The total is at 51.5, and, and Arizona State's laying 3.5 points. Ben, how do you see this game going with BYU as a home dog? I think it's a great matchup, a late-night matchup out West. We don't normally get top 25 matchups this early on out West, so this game's going to be like 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Buckle your seats because it's going to be a great time late night on Saturday. Both of these teams have gone under in their first two games of this season. Both currently rank in the top 30 in scoring defense. But Arizona State has yet to cover a spread so far this season. BYU only covered one when they were an underdog last week, winning outright against Utah, their first Holy War victory in the state of Utah since 2009. This is also BYU's third straight game against a Pac-12 opponent. They beat Arizona in the first game, but by only eight points, they did not cover a nearly 11 and a half point spread. A great quarterback matchup we have in store on Saturday. Jaden Daniels for Arizona State and then Jaron Hall for BYU. Both dual threat quarterbacks. When you look at Jaden Daniels so far this year, 30 of 41 passing, 307 passing yards, a 73.2 completion percentage, and two touchdowns and an interception also has ran the ball for 165 yards on the ground. Jaron Hall has also been very good, 347 yards, five passing touchdowns, and has 128 rushing yards so far this year. Arizona State 
is going to focus on that ground game. The seventh best rushing offense in the country so far at nearly 290 rushing yards per game. I think just based on the opponents that they have played so far, again, that total seems to be a little bit too small, 51 and a half. Both of these teams can be very explosive offensively with two great dual threat quarterbacks and two great ground games. Tyler Algier on the other side for the Cougars as well. I think you're getting a good buy low spot at 51 and a half for this matchup between ASU and BYU. I would lean the over for this game late on Saturday night as well. So Bama, I think you're getting a buy low spot in their game against Florida at 58 and a half for the total. I would lean the over. I feel the same way about BYU and Arizona State. A smaller total of only 51 and a half for a late night Pac-12 after dark game. Yeah, I'd lean the over in that one as well. It's crazy because the first week, even the second week of the season in college football have had so many crazy matchups, whether they're in conference or non-conference. We're going to start to see some of these teams and not, of course, the names of the games that we just listed because those are big marquee games this week. Just some other teams that are going to come off of back-to-back really tough games or exciting games and see how they do despite having large spreads. Do they just take their foot off the gas pedal, back door? Do they just not care as much? Because those games are kind of letdown spots after playing one or two really tough games. Coming up next, we're going to talk some more college football with mid-major Matt. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM, Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us now from in-game live here on the grid, it is mid-major Matt, Matt Joseph. Now, between these two, between Ben and Matt, I'm gonna I'm not even in the middle, but I feel like I should be because these two are going to go at it this segment. There's always passion back and forth when it comes to college football. And first, Matt, I do want to ask because you always love these FCS, FBS matchups. Why do you target those games for betting? Well, I think there's I think there's an, a market to be had there, and, and and what we've talked about, and what you guys do a good job of on this show, is finding things and finding angles that people can take advantage of. And look, it's a very flimsy market. The lines don't come out until Friday night, Saturday morning, till sometimes, and they already are based off of moves from other casinos or other places that have already put the numbers out there. But I just think there's times because people don't respect the FCS as much as they should. There are teams in the FCS who give battles. We've seen what eight, nine wins already by the FCS over FCS. FBS teams um, and their scheduling spots. We talk so much about scheduling spots all over the place. And just sometimes there's going to be letdowns against FCS teams. And so I think there's a solid market there when you look at the, the FCS FBS games. Matt, a team that should probably be playing FCS-level football is UConn. UConn is taking on Army this week. I know that you have this game targeted on your Saturday slate for college football. What is it about this game that catches your eye outside of the fact that UConn is just terrible? 
Well, I mean, Army's the type of team that's just going to score a bunch of points on you, and, and they play the triple option here. And Army's got a really good defense. Now, granted, they struggled a little bit against Western Kentucky, but that's a really good passing attack. But you, you're not going to get that against UConn. And so what you're looking at here is a triple option team that's going to drain a lot of clock, and they're going to play some defense. What I've done the last couple times is take the team total unders for, for UConn games because they just don't score. Um, now, granted, the Holy Cross game, I don't think there was one, but UConn's offense has been pretty pitiful this year one of the other things i like about triple option teams and something that i like to play especially in the academy games when we saw air force and navy play is first quarter unders and you're probably wondering why um a lot of times when we see these uh these triple option teams their first quarter total is seven and a half it might be ten and a half and if you have a team that's at least going to make the triple option team work they're going to go for these eight minute drives and guess what that's already half of the quarter that's gone already and then now you're getting a team like Army who's got a really good defense, and maybe they clamp down their opponent, they get the ball back, and then they have to drive once again. So one of the things I like to do sometimes, not necessarily in this case, is look at a first quarter under involving triple option teams who I know will matriculate the ball down the field. They don't throw the ball very much. UConn's not a defense I want to do that against. UConn could very easily give up 80-yard rushes to, to Army. But in future games, look for some value in first quarter unders involving triple option teams who you know don't throw the ball as much. Matt, another game that you're looking at is in the ACC. You like Virginia, North Carolina. What are you targeting in that game? Well, I don't think that North Carolina is back. I mean, look, they beat up on a bad Georgia State team last week. And so I think that this is a big game. And you look at what Virginia has done so far this season. They they shut out uh, an FCS team in William & Mary. And they played really well against Illinois last week um, in a game that people were wondering, like, hey, what's this atmosphere going to be like? It's an 11 a.m. game. It's going to be a sleepy time in Charlottesville. Well, Brennan Armstrong has been a really good quarterback. And if you ask a lot of people, he's right up there with Sam Howell in terms of quarterbacks in the ACC. You've got De'Aaron King. Mackenzie Milton's a good story. There's other ones, uh, Pickett at, at Pittsburgh. But this is a lot of points here for a Virginia defense that's pretty competent. And you've got a North Carolina team that's still breaking in new uh, wide receivers, new running backs. And North Carolina's defense hasn't been that good this year. So I think Virginia is very live in this game. You could even consider a sprinkle on the money line. But when you see the line this big, you would think that there was the, a, a big mismatch. But I definitely don't think that's the case. I think Virginia is very live in this one. Matt, a team that has been a disappointment so far this year is the Washington Huskies. Of course, they lost to an FCS opponent in Montana in their opener. They go on the road last week to the big house against Michigan and don't look like a very formidable side. This week, the Huskies have a game that you are targeting as well. Do you think there is a bounce back opportunity for UW this weekend? I think that there potentially is, but I'm not really ready to pay for it. I need to see something from them. And when you've got a team like Arkansas State, who is very good offensively, now granted they're not good defensively, there could be some value potentially on the over here. Let's say Washington's offense does wake up. I mean, this would be the week it would do it. Arkansas State's defense isn't exactly one of the better ones in the league, but the, they've got some good quarterbacks. They run a good system. And so I think there's a chance that there's a lot of points scored in this one. And if Washington doesn't, there could be some live potential here during the game because I think Arkansas State's going to push them at least and if they're coming out and they're slumbering once again like they were in that first game against Montana Arkansas State could pull the upset here I'm hoping that Washington's offense shows up and that the over comes into play with two good uh with an offense and a defense that's not very good maybe giving Washington an opportunity to wake up a little bit Matt Joseph's mid-major Matt joining us here on the morning after on Sports Grid, breaking down the college football slate coming up for week three of the season. Another game on your card, Ball State and Wyoming. Where are you going here, Matt? 
So Ball State has been a team I like backing. Of course, they lost to Penn State last week. And now they get an equally physical team in Wyoming and a trip out to Laramie. And you're getting around a touchdown here. Um, the problem with Ball State is, look, Ball State, these games are all well and good, these non-conference games. I mean, we already know Ball State's lost. So they're not making a national championship. They're not making the Group of Five bowl game. And they've got Toledo at next week. And let's be honest here. The MAC is where it's at for Ball State. They want to win the MAC. And Toledo is going to be one of the best teams in the MAC. So there's a potential look ahead here. And so what I'm looking to do is potentially look for like a second half wager in this game. If Wyoming, it's kind of close and something. Maybe Wyoming pulls away in the, in the second half. They've just got this offense. They wear down on you. They run the ball a ton. They're a very physical bunch and they play very good defense here. I wonder what Ball State's focus is for this game because they've got bigger fish to fry coming up next week against Toledo and Wyoming's home for this one. So I expect the Cowboys to win this game potentially rather easily against the Max school. Matt, it's been a very small sample size of only really two full weeks of college football. You could also add in week zero as well. Has any trends or anything from a gambling perspective stood out to you so far throughout this short college football season? I mean, I think for the most part, it's the bad teams are continuing to stay bad. If you continue to fade at UMass and take team total unders on UMass and UConn and some of these bad offensive teams, I think that you're going to continue to do it. And that's the biggest thing I've learned as a handicapper. I, I kind of went over this last year. Um, you know, everybody likes to bet the sides and the totals, and that's great. And that's all well and good. But there's markets elsewhere. I mean, FanDuel does the player props. Granted, they're not here in Virginia, unfortunately. I think that's a Virginia thing. But I like to see these team totals here. And I think the teams that are really good are scoring a ton of points and the teams that are not very good you're finding some value on their unders navy last week had a 17 and a half they weren't scoring 17 and a half points in 12 quarters against air force so i think for those of you who may be struggling with sides and totals look to some of the other markets and look to the team totals because the bad teams there's some value on their team total unders and the really good offenses there's some value on their team total overs instead of asking them to cover you're talking about team total overs, and Matt, we love props, especially when it comes to the NFL, Major League Baseball. There's so many games to break down in college football. How much do you look to props in college football for individual players? Well, I, I think in college football, it's a little bit harder because I think, once again, you're looking at a market here that everybody just wants to bet overs. And so, uh, you, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, the Ohio State quarterback, he's going to go over his total and the wide receivers are going to go over and over and over. So I feel like the books sometimes overinflate these numbers, making it a little bit more difficult. Plus, there's not props in every game. I mean, to me, I'd rather have the props in the group of five game. Give me some Grayson McCall passing uh, yards and passing touchdowns. Uh, I'd rather play something like that. And, and the books won't do that because they know that people like me would beat them or would at least bring more attention to that market. So not as much in college football do I do player props. I'll do more DFS. I love uh, FanDuel's uh, college football DFS. I'll do that. But I won't necessarily play some player props in college football unless there's some value that's screaming out to me. Yeah, a lot of those player props don't often come out until just right before kick on game day. And for a lot of those marquee matchups, maybe not a player prop of Grayson McCall, but a Coastal Carolina team total over as another way of finding an edge, Matt. That's always good for a college football season. Now transitioning into the NFL, Thursday night football tomorrow night between the Washington football team and the New York Giants. The football team, a three and a half point favorite. The total minimal, only 40 and a half. How do you break down this matchup? 
I mean, look, and I'm in Washington country here in Virginia, and I think a lot of people, I was disappointed. It was one of my losses last week. I had Washington, and and if you were to tell me that they were going to have their defense out there with seven minutes left, and they were going to have a third and 17, I'd say, oh, Washington's going to get the ball back. They're going to, you know, go, and they're going to, you know, drive down the field and score a touchdown. Well, they didn't, and the Washington defense has to be very embarrassed. I mean, it was 14 of 19 on third down. The Chargers were, look, Herbert looked really good, and we know how good Herbert is, but this is one of the top five defenses in the league so i expect a better effort from this washington football team i'll give you a prop that i absolutely love and i've already locked it in taylor heineke's rushing yards if you look at the games that taylor heineke has played for washington so far he has no problem running the ball he's had over 40 yards once he had over 20 yards another time last year uh this year he had i think it was 17 or 18 yards on a couple of carries and that wasn't even with playing the whole game you look at this giants team earlier this year already in week one teddy bridgewater went nearly 20 yards rushing on three carries. Teddy Bridgewater's mobile, but he's not that mobile. And you look at last year, five straight quarterbacks had double-digit rushing yards against the Giants towards the end of the season. I think Taylor Heineke with a you know a sketchy offensive line could be on the run a little bit. I'm looking at the over for Taylor Heineke's rushing yards on Thursday night football. I want to go to Major League Baseball real quick because I love that prop, by the way. And strikeout props we talk about all the time, Matt. I'm interested to see where you're going today in the K-prop market. Who is it? Or maybe you have a few, but which ones do you like the most? I mean, pretty much auto bets nowadays, the over against the Cubs, the over against the Marlins. Josh Rogers is not exactly a strikeout pitcher for the uh, for the uh, Washington Nationals, but it is the Marlins. I like the home plate umpire in this game. So I'm gonna, I took a little shot on, on Josh Rogers' K-prop over. And then Ranger Suarez also. I mean, he's a guy that it was, it was the closer for the Phillies. He's coming to the uh, starting rotation. He's gotten a bunch of strikeouts as of late, and he's facing the Cubs. I feel like everybody gets to strike out a bunch of Cubs. The number's like 21-3 and three of the last 24 pitchers who have had five strikeouts or more against the Cubs. So pretty much for me, even if the pitchers aren't as good, I'll back off the unit size, but just take the over against the Cubs and the Marlins. And if you get one, then there you go. You at least uh, close to break even. Matt, I love that as well. One of the areas I'm looking, Robbie Ray. You don't like the top of the prop market, but how do you feel about Robbie Ray's strikeout prop today? I mean, it's it's juicy. It's there for the taking. I mean, the the Rays, even though the Rays have like a twenty or, or like twentieth in baseball and K rate this month, they've kind of backed off the strikeouts, but they're still a top five team against left-handed pitchers. I, I, you know, look as you said, I don't love the top ends of the market, but Robbie Ray is going for a Cy Young, and he's home, and the Rays' offense is hot, a hit or miss. So yeah, I wouldn't mind that. It's not my favorite play on the board, but I do like that Robbie Ray's strikeout prop is a reasonable seven and a half, and I think he can go over that. I have one more for you. And by the way, that Tampa Bay-Toronto games this afternoon here on the East Coast. However, the other one, you mentioned taking overs on the Cubs. I love taking unders against the Houston Astros. And the Texas Rangers, uh, Koei Arihara is playing tonight. He's the one pitching against Houston. His strikeout props, two and a half. And I feel like even though it's so low, he's only averaging just under one strikeout per game when he's facing teams that have a bottom 10K rate. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, the problem with the two and a half is you could get an inning with two and then you're sitting there sweating. And I know he only goes three or four innings. And, and beginning of the season, I made money betting his unders on his K-props because the books didn't know what to do with him. Now I feel like I, I just two and a half is so tough. And you who don't like unders and are going to take a two and a half under, like good luck to that. I mean, that you've you've grown if you're going to take that under because you were never going to take unders. Um, I wouldn't do it, but good luck. And I would lean that way. But good luck if you actually do. 
I've been so sadistic the last couple of days just because I've hated everything about my sports life. Mid-Major Matt, thank you so much for coming on with us. We'll see you again next week. Good luck to your bets tonight. Thanks so much. Coming up next, we close out hour number two of the show. It's Sirius XM, Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out hour two of the morning after on Sports Grid is Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Let's get now to our segment, Buy or Sell. The buy or sell question after we saw USC fire their head coach, Clay Helton, is really who is it going to be? Now, one name that popped up was the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy. Ben, are you buying or selling that Bieniemy will be the next head coach of USC? So I'm going to start off by saying I'm selling the idea that Eric Bieniemy would go down to the collegiate level to become the new head coach of the USC Trojans. But it was reported yesterday by Adam Schefter that he does have interest in the position. Pac-12 in his nature, a Colorado guy, is Eric Bieniemy. He has said to people around him that if there was any job on the college level that would intrigue him, it would be the head coaching position at USC. Of course, Eric Bieniemy now has been passed up the past two off seasons to become a head coach in the National Football League. That is still where I think he goes next if the Chiefs have another successful season offensively, and it seems like they certainly will in 2021 so i'm going to sell the idea that he is going to be the next head football coach at the, for the usc trojans but there is certainly interest around it if i am buying one guy to be the new head coach of usc no it is not urban meyer although i would love the jokes i think it might actually be luke fickle who is the head coach right now for cincinnati the idea of becoming the next head football coach at ohio state is probably intriguing for luke fickle but ryan day has a real big hold on that job for the foreseeable future. Luke Fickle, one of the best head coaches in all of college football. It would be quite an elevation for him to become the new head football coach at USC. That's a name to keep an eye on. Yeah, there's a lot of different names that have been thrown out there. We mentioned them through the show. Urban Meyer even thrown out there. James Franklin of Penn State. This is going to be one of the most highly touted and sought out jobs come the offseason, even if we could even see it happen during the season, if not towards the end of it, probably more towards the end. However, getting rid of your head coach early, it allows for you to start the search earlier than everyone else who's going to end up firing their coaches down the stretch of the season. USC just trying to get a head start. Coming up next, it's hour three of our show, our happy hour. We're going to break down the Major League Baseball slate and continue to give you the edge through noon Eastern time here on the grid. For Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. See you after the update. Winning isn't a mystery. It requires strategy, a plan, and a few hours a week.